this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i am your host the sampath a five judge constitution bench of the supreme court has upheld the abrogation of article 370 and the subsequent reorganization of the state of jammu and kashmir into two union territories while this judgment has been hailed as a historic uh, one it has also raised concerns about subversion of the federal system which is understood to be a part of the basic structure of the constitution so what exactly was the judicial reasoning and the thought process behind the supreme court judgment and what are its larger implications especially for indian states and the federal structure we discuss this judgment in some detail in this episode of in focus and we have with us krishnadas rajagopal the hindus legal correspondent krishna thank you so much for joining us thank you so much sampath for having me on this program great great to have you krishna to start with i was just wondering uh, if you can just give us a brief overview of the reasoning in the constitution bench's judgment that has upheld the abrogation of uh, article 370 of the constitution yeah so this uh, this was a five judge bench headed by chief justice of india uh, dy chandrachud and the uh, the lead opinion was uh, given by uh, Ch- the chief justice himself uh, and he shared the opinion with uh, justices b r gavai and justice uh, suryakant so three of them had the same opinion and uh, then there were two separate but concurring judgments or opinions by justice sanjay kishan call and uh, justice uh, sanjeev khanna uh, they were separate but they agreed with whatever the chief justice said now it's a 476 page uh, judgment i mean all the three opinions got together uh, is around uh, 476 pages now as uh, you said sampath you know they upheld the abrogation of article 370 that's the basic uh, thing uh, there the reasonings include that you know uh, one jammu and kashmir did not retain any internal sovereignty after the execution of the in- instrument of accession in 1947 uh, second uh, they found uh, article 370 was a temporary provision just a mechanism to integrate uh, jammu and kashmir the state of jammu and kashmir more and more into the union it was a gradual process over the years and this was the culmination of that process of integration and uh, thirdly the dissolution of the constituent assembly uh, which we will be talking about later on uh, the constituent assembly of the state uh, did not affect the president's power to abrogate under clause 3 of article 370 uh, fourthly uh, uh, the court did not go into the legality of the declaration of the president's rule uh, december 2018 the president's rule had followed the governor's rule and you know uh, they but at the same time they basically uh, basically came out with certain ground rules on uh on the uh, you know on uh, in connection with uh, first they said that you know if the declaration itself will come under judicial scrutiny for this they 
banked on the nine judge bench decision in SR Bombay. And they said that, you know, um, uh, that the president's actions during the subsistence of the uh, of the president's rule and also the declaration itself uh, would come under greater scrutiny. This is what uh, the the SR Bombay case uh, also said, the judgment also said. They just reiterated it. And, uh, and one of the ground rules that they put out in the judgment uh, was that there should be a reasonable nexus between the object of the proclamation of uh, Article 356 and the actions of the president uh, slash the parliament during the subsistence of the, uh, du during the period of uh, the uh, president's rule. Having said that, uh, they did not apply uh, any of these ground rules, especially this one, that whether there was any reasonable nexus between the uh, object of uh, proclaiming Article 356, the President's Rule, which is Article 356 basically says the President's Rule kicks in if uh, there is a breakdown of the constitutional machinery in the state. Uh, whether, you know, so the object of Article 356 and later on the final action that happened uh, in, in, uh, in the 350, that is the abrogation of 370 and the uh, bifurcation of the state itself. Uh, into two union territories. So, uh, was there a reasonable nexus between uh, the uh, president's rule, the object of the president's rule, and the abrogation of uh, the 370 and uh, the bifurcation of uh, the state into two union territories? That the court doesn't say. Uh, there is a there is a big blank there. And basically, to add it, uh, to add to it, the court says that we don't want to. Uh, get into the reason why the president abrogated uh, 370. Uh, maybe there must have been some special circumstances which uh, call for a special solution. Uh, we don't want to sit in appeal over the president's action. Uh, so there is a slight contradiction there uh, between you know fixing certain ground rules and not applying it in the case at hand. Then, uh, then the and finally. Uh, another quizzical thing is that they did not go into the legality of the Jammu and Kashmir uh, State Reorganization Act, which actually divided the, um, saying, reorganized the state or bifurcated the state or carved the state into two union territories. They did not go into the legality of it. Instead of that, they, um, they just uh, took the assurance of the Solicitor General uh, that, you know, we will be restoring the union territory of Jammu and Kashmir uh, back to statehood, full statehood, as soon as possible. And uh, having believed that and having recorded that, and uh, they went on to direct the Election Commission of India uh, to say that you have to conduct elections uh, by September 30, 2024. Now, uh, you have to mark the, 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 the point here is that they have not given a deadline for the restoration of the statehood but they have given a deadline for the election. Uh, so, uh, uh, and they have believed the solicitor's word on that. Now, as uh, I believe Justice Rowington Nariman also commented on it uh, a couple of days back. So he basically said that, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, how could you basically do that when, uh, you know, you, you can't, uh, uh, 
you know you can't restore you you can't promise uh, you can't take the word of a solicitor general a government the government may change and uh, maybe and uh, the status of jammu and kashmir may not in the future so a constitutional court being given an, um, a specific question on the validity of state reorganization act uh, chooses not to uh, apply its mind on the legality of the act but takes the word of the solicitor general uh, of a government which uh, center which may or may not change later on but the uh, status of uh, jammu and kashmir may there is a there is a possibility that the status of jammu and kashmir may continue as a union territory so there is no uh, the basic point is there is no deadline given for the restoration of the statehood it's just uh, a, a general comment that you know do it as soon as possible and uh, then uh, i think these are the basic takeaways from the uh, from the judgment sampath right uh, thank you so much krishna and that's a really a very uh, comprehensive and crisp overview of the verdict and the, and also the contradiction some of them which are there really appreciate your laying it out uh, so well and i think i really uh, i'm really uh, keen to get to know more about this two in particular two points which you mentioned one of course is uh, is the nexus between the reason uh, for applying president's rule which is to do with breakdown on constitutional machinery and what you actually do once the president's rule is in place is there a nexus between the two ideally uh, according to the ground rules that you said there should be but is there in this case the supreme court judgment is silent on that and uh, that is of course uh, a very important point and secondly uh, when the reorganization or the bifurcation of the state into two is also in question the entire legality of it is sort of uh, bypassed and uh, the solicitor general's word uh, is just taken at face value which is again very interesting we'll come to that in a bit uh, krishna in the meanwhile i wanted to ask you about something else you referred to which is the question of uh, sovereignty or internal uh, sovereignty you know the petitioners Uh, had argued that JNK retained an element of sovereignty when it joined the Indian Union in 1947, and this arrangement, according to them, was distinct from the relationship that other princely states had when they merged with India. So, how exactly did the Supreme Court bench conclude that Jammu and Kashmir had no "quote unquote" internal sovereignty? I'll start with what the uh, petitioners, uh, you know, argued. They said that. uh this uh, jammu and kashmir came into the union fold uh, on the basis of a instrument of accession it was not a merger they had retained some residual uh, sovereignty and uh, the the government uh, countered that no they they came into the fold of the union of india and later on they uh, participated in the framing of the constitution of india and uh, and the constitution of india once it will, it came into existence once it was promulgated is the supreme document now uh, you know uh, the court tackles this question of uh, internal sovereignty uh, in multiple ways you know it uh, it looks at it theoretically uh, and it looks at it very practically factually what happens so uh, i think i'll um, start with the uh, factual part one uh, one and uh, this is basically the lead opinion which is saying which is a uh, detail it says that on november 25th uh, 1949 uh, there was a proclamation uh, for the state of jammu and kashmir by 
uh, Yuvraj Karan Singh. You know, he was he was a successor of Maharaja Hari Singh who signed the instrument of accession. And uh, basically, the proclamation said that the relationship between India and Jammu and Kashmir will be governed by the Constitution of India upon its adoption by the Constituent Assembly. That is, uh, I think I have the exact words of the proclamation. The proclamation say, says, uh, this proclamation reflects the full and final surrender of the sovereignty by Jammu and Kashmir through its sovereign ruler to India, to her people who are sovereign. So, uh, Chief Justice Chandrachu takes this up and he says that this is uh, this is the same as a merger. He, he says, maybe what you're saying is right. Uh, instrument of acquisition uh, is not a merger. But then there is a subsequent proclamation by the Yuvraj uh, on uh, November 25th, 1949, which basically says that, you know, uh, once the constitution of India comes up uh, or is promulgated, we are uh, governed by that. So what more? What more can you want? You know, th this is exactly a merger. And uh, then the court says that now look at, uh, goes, goes to the constitution of India itself and says that look at Article 1. Uh, Article 1 says that uh, India is a union of states and Jammu and Kashmir is listed as one of the states. Then uh, look at how, look at 370 itself, how 370 uh, is being used, uh, is a mechanism, as a mechanism is used to, uh, uh, to apply more and more of the articles of the Indian constitution into the governance of Jammu and Kashmir. And then he goes to Jammu and Kashmir constitution itself, section 3, says that which says that Jammu and Kashmir is an integral part of India. And uh, then he goes to the preamble of the Jammu and Kashmir constitution. And he says, uh, I'll quote, uh, Jammu, in, in pursuance, the preamble says, in pursuance of the accession of Jammu and Kashmir to India to further define the relationship of Jammu and Kashmir with India as its integral part. So basically, uh, the, uh, the, the court is trying to say that we've shown you multiple documents, uh, the proclamation, the 1949 proclamation, the constitution of India itself, and then the Jammu and Kashmir constitution itself, which the Constituent Assembly of uh, Jammu and Kashmir, the people, uh, had ratified. So that they all agree that Jammu and Kashmir is an integral part of India. It's part of the federal structure of India. And then, and then there is the theory part which says that, uh, says what is sovereignty? Is, is the state a sovereign or the citizen a sovereign? Now look at Jammu and Kashmir. Uh, the Maharaja sent four of the representatives of the state uh, to sit in the Constituent Assembly of India to frame the Indian constitution. Uh, and Maki, uh, Sheikh Abdullah was one of the four. And they all uh, prepared, helped in the preparation of the Constitution of India. Now, uh, the citizens uh, wanted to be under the sovereignty of the Union of India, the Constitution of India. Uh, so he said, there is nothing. Uh, he said, um, the Chief Justice said that internal sovereignty and external sovereignty, they're all uh, the two sides of the same coin. They're indivisible. And the actual sovereign power rests with the people of Jammu and Kashmir. And through their actions, through all these documents, through the actions of sitting in the Constituent Assembly of India to frame the Indian constitution, they have accepted 
that they are part of the part of the federal chain uh, which links the uh, union of india and makes the whole of the union of india now again another theory part interestingly he has said that you have muddled up uh, autonomy and sovereignty is it uh, uh, what you seeing is asymmetric federalism which is uh, um, you know a differential autonomy uh, asymmetric federalism is basically that some some states are uh, you know get uh, more rights and some uh, you know some have special interests like you have that in uh, mizoram you can see that in the constitution uh, the constitution backs it the indian constitution backs it mizoram under 371g and nagaland under 371a they are all examples of asymmetric uh, federalism uh, so he said the uh, jammu and kashmir had never uh, had sovereignty it just was part of a uh, part of the asymmetric federalism it was only asymmetric federalism was being followed uh, and it and you have basically what you uh, you thought that it was sovereignty but it's actually autonomy and uh, interestingly uh, you know there is this uh, book that i read uh, robert agronoff so he says that uh, what is asymmetry asymmetry depends upon a polity sufficiently flexible accommodative and innovative to incorporate complex differences and identities which have political salience so uh, so couple of things so theoretically they have tackled it by saying that uh, Jammu and Kashmir never had sovereignty after instrument of the instrument of accession. Uh, what you saw was not sovereignty, but just differential autonomy, uh, asymmetric federalism, um, and uh, and then factually they have gone into how all these documents, the 1949 Proclamation, the Constitution of India, uh, Jammu and Kashmir Constitution, all these documents basically say that. Uh, that there is no sovereignty left we are an integral part of india we are we are just a state and we have not retained any residual sovereignty with us right so krishna just one quick question here so uh, on you 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 sort of detailed the answer on 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 two uh, on, on two parameters let us say one is a theoretical one is a factual and and going a little bit on the factual side this accession you know this instrument of accession which is article 370 that is a fact okay now if some would argue some would argue and i have seen this argument being made in different texts that you have uh, jammu and kashmir as an integral part of india through article 370 i mean article 370 is the conduit through which the constitution of india applies to kashmir now if that is taken away then what do you have left without that conduit through which and if you are in order for that to be taken away without breaking that integral link you need uh, the people you know what whether you call them sovereigns or whatever the people to uh, consent to take this article 370 away so that you are more fully merged rather than acceded or whatever so does did this come up uh, in the judgment or in the discussions and so on like how is this I think you are talking about Article Three, where you know uh, there are two provisos in Article Three. Uh, the first proviso which says that uh, if you want to change the the area or the uh, name of a state, you have to refer uh, the proposal. The Parliament has to refer the proposal to the state legislature, and uh, and two, 
they have to uh, get the consent of the state legislature. This was basically a very pertinent question that the petitioners put to the court. And this was one of the questions of, uh, that was referred to the constitution bench. <laughs> but sadly, they did not answer it. They left it open. Yeah, so I was going to ask you, uh, what about then the Article 73, I think that's what you were referring to, which then said that the recommendation of the Constituent Assembly of the State, uh, a Constituent Assembly which did not exist at the time uh, when the abrogation of Article 370 uh, took place. Now, this abrogation then uh, is essentially infructuous, according to the petitioners, because there was no constitutional means to abrogate Article 370 in the absence of the Constituent Assembly. So, this contradiction, how did the court address this con this question? Like, when there is no Constituent Assembly which was needed uh, to abrogate uh, 370, how did this abrogation uh, become legally uh, valid? Now, here, uh, basically, uh, the finding, the uh, let's start with the finding, the conclusion says that the president shall have the power to unilaterally abrogate 370. I mean, uh, president, which is basically saying that the president doesn't need the uh, the recommendation of the constituent assembly to get rid of uh, the article itself, to get rid of the special status of Jammu and Kashmir. That's what it's basically saying. Uh, now, two arguments placed by the court. One is that the... As you know, the Constituent Assembly ceased to exist in 1957. And the court basically says that it was never a permanent body. Uh, you can't, uh, you, can't uh, you know, compare a Constituent Assembly with a legislative assembly. The Constituent Assembly is there to ratify a constitution. It's there for a limited purpose. And, uh, um, and in the case of Constituent Assembly of Jammu and Kashmir, it was for two purposes. One is to uh, take a final, uh, to get a final uh, call on whether... Um, whether Jammu and Kashmir wants to completely go into the jurisdiction of the Union of India and two, to ratify the Jammu and Kashmir constitution. Now, what has happened here is that they ratified the Jammu and Kashmir constitution, but they didn't take a positive recommendation on whether they want to continue with, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, they didn't take a positive recommendation on whether they want to continue with the Union of India in the Union of India or find an alternative. Now, uh, having said that, uh, the court says that uh, you know, the recommendation of the uh, Constituent Assembly of such a temporary body was not was never binding on the president. You know, so basically, it's a very interesting. They take a uh, they take a bit from history. They basically interpret uh, the. Uh, should I read the clause three of three seventy? I think that'll make it yeah, easier. Yeah, sure, sure, yeah. Says, notwithstanding anything in the foregoing uh, provisions of this article, the president may, by public notification, declare that this article shall cease to be operative or shall be operative only with such exceptions and modifications and from such date as he may specify. And this is where the point comes. The proviso says that the recommendation of the Constituent Assembly of the state referred to in clause 2 shall be necessary before the president is issues such a notification. So here the proviso says it is necessary to get a uh, recommendation from the Constituent Assembly. But what the court says is that it has never been binding. One, uh, the Constituent Assembly was a transitional body. It was just there and was never uh, it was never permanent. Uh, the second, they say that you know what you what you have read in clause three is just uh, you know. Uh, 
See, at that point of time, uh, the the princes of these, or the rulers of these princely states, they had to ratify the Indian constitution. Now, uh, they had to ratify the Indian constitution after taking the recommendation of their state as constituent assemblies. Now, there were instances where the state constituent assemblies would want uh, certain modifications. Uh, certain changes to be made in the application of the Indian constitution to their respective states. So basically what they are saying is that uh, this uh, clause 3 of 370 was just, it just encapsulated this procedure. It was nothing more. And once the constitution of Jammu and Kashmir was made, the constituent assembly ceased to exist. But the president's power did not cease to exist. Because if you go to clause 1 of 370, that's this is what the court says, goes to clause 1 of 370, the president uh, is the one, is, uh, is you, has the power to uh, notify uh, changes in the governance of the Jammu and Kashmir constitution. It has a, the president has the power to apply more and more of the articles of the Indian constitution into the governance of Jammu and Kashmir. Uh, parliamentary laws made by, uh, you know, the parliamentary laws, the, uh, the president had the power to notify the parliamentary laws into Jammu and Kashmir with the concurrence or consultation of the uh, state government. So the president was always active. He's always been there and he's always been doing this gradual process of integration. He was key to it. And uh, another thing what, the, uh, what they are saying is that, you know, um, that you know, if you say that Article Three, uh, Clause Three of Article Three Seventy ceased to exist, if you say that, then where will the integration process go? You know, that will be the end of the integration process, right? Uh, so, saying that, uh, uh, so you can't let Clause Three of Three Seventy die just because the Constituent Assembly does not exist. The President is there. The President is. Uh, doing uh, more and uh, is the key to the integration process. So his power to do that, to act as the very article which you are abrogating, you draw the power to abrogate it for the president from the article you are abrogating. Exactly. Yes. In the sense that, uh, you know, you basically at one point you're saying that uh, 370 is uh, um, uh, 370 is key to the integration process. And all these decades, we have been using 370 to integrate Jammu and Kashmir more and more into the Union of India. So the question is, basically, then why do you abrogate 370? If 370 is key, if all these years you have depended on 370 to uh, integrate, then why do you get rid of 370? You continue doing that. But what they have done is that they have abrogated 370. So th there is there are these contradictions which are, you know, uh, the, there are these hiccups where at one point you're saying that, uh, you know, 370 is key to the integration. And they, at the same time, you're abrogating 370. You don't need 370 anymore. Right. There's also the question of, you know, if 370 was a temporary provision, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, what about, uh, you know, uh, amending it in parliament first under the provisions of Article 368? And then going ahead, rather than have the president do this, you know, that's another question which I think has come up uh, in this context. 
where is 370 placed? It's 370 is placed, I believe, in Chapter 21, the tra- temporary and transitional and special provisions of the Constitution. So uh, the court gives a very subtle answer. If something is temporary, why do you need to amend it? It will die on its own. When the circumstances for which it was brought into the Constitution ends, it will die on its own. Oh, but it didn't die on its own. No? The, the, the government had to abrogate it. <laughs> and the other point Somebody is that... Somebody had to kill it. <laughs> it, it didn't die. <laughs> yeah, please uh, please go ahead. Yeah, You were saying about the temporary nature of Article 370. Yeah, so uh, why was 370 uh, not abrogated uh, in the 368 way, the amending power of the Constitution? That's basically the question here. So... It's, it's so the court basically says that uh, look at where 370 is in the first place in chapter 21, which is a transitional temporary provision, and you know uh, so w- every trans uh, uh, every temporary provision need not be amended uh, under Article 368, which is what the court says. Now temporary provisions are brought into the constitution. You know, for certain exigencies, uh, in special circumstances, and with the uh, and it will automatically cease to exist with time or changes in the peculiar conditions under which it was brought in. That is the court's logic here. So would that then apply to all the other provisions in Chapter Twenty One, which are temporary? Anything for all of them, they can we can do what we want without amending them directly, getting the president to do it, or is there any criteria? That's the logic they have brought in. That's the logic they have brought in here. I'm sure somebody would, you know, maybe in the future people would question this. Maybe this will come under further examination. And 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 Sampad, we are dealing with the Constitution bench. You know, it's a five judge bench. It's not a division bench where, you know, you can uh, appeal. This is a reference on a constitution question. And uh, and one of the specific questions asked to the constitution bench was, was this uh, the way to do it? And the other thing that they have brought in was that, you know, there is a, they've said that, which is more uh, plausible of an explanation. They basically said that 371 at the, and three, uh, um, clause one of three seventy and clause three of three seventy uh, have specific procedures uh, listed out. Specific procedures by which uh, abrogation of three seventy can take place. And three seventy one is basically bringing in uh, you know articles of the constitution, Indian constitution, into the governance of Jammu and Kashmir and all that. But let's keeping that aside, they're saying that clause three of three seventy has a has listed out a a particular way of abrogating 370. Now, they've already proved that the president's power to abrogate is not uh, affected by the uh, the absence of the Constituent Assembly. Uh, having said that, they said when there is a particular way in which uh, the abrogation can be done, the president can follow that and he can unilaterally uh, notify uh, the cessation of Article 370 that way. When there is something in the article itself on how it can be abrogated, why bank on 368? And also, there is there is this, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jammu and Kashmir Constitution Order. It's Constitution Order 48, which is basically the 1954 order, uh, Jammu and Kashmir uh, 
Constitution Order 1954, which brought in Article 35A. 35A brought in the permanent residence, brought in more rights for the state, uh, for the people of Jammu and Kashmir, you know, uh, voting rights. Uh, so, so that was done with the uh, when the Constituent Assembly was uh, was in session. So, so basically, they are saying that at that point of time, uh, the procedure uh, clause three, I'm um, sorry, uh, three hundred and seventy procedure was uh, used to uh, amend the Constitution of India, uh, like bringing in Article thirty five A. So why not now? So they're basically saying, simply they're saying that. Listen, there is a procedure in 370, how to abrogate it. Follow that. We have followed that. And uh, we don't need the uh, help of a constituent assembly because the constituent assembly ceases to exist and it has never been binding on the president from the beginning. So the president has done it. Right, right. right. I, I got that, Krishna. Now, that is so far as the procedure, procedural part of it is concerned. Now, Article 368 is not just a procedure. I mean, it, it, there is also something underneath, underlying that. If you get out of the 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 the, the, the this room, this box of law, uh, beneath that is the uh, is the will of the people. You know, the people who are actually whose lives are going to be changed, affected in many ways. Which brings us to the question of you know the substantive nature of what this article is, which is democracy. Right? Uh, is it? Is this what the people who are living in Jammu and Kashmir? Is this what they wanted? Is this what? Is this what their will uh, reflected in? You know. Now, I was just curious. What does the judgment really have to say with regard to uh, this question of of democracy, of of where the people or the people's representatives need to have their say on how uh, what happens to their state? whether it to do with boundaries being redrawn or the nature of the relationship with the rest of India and so on. So the people of Jammu and Kashmir and their say, which finds representation in law through whatever articles you have cited. I mean, many of it sort of, I'm not really qualified to comment on that. But on this fundamental question, I think uh, many people would be interested to know uh, the courts, uh, the judgments thinking on it. So basically, uh, I think your question centers on Article 3 of the Constitution, which basically there are two provisos to Article 3. And Article 3, I'll tell you, Article 3 is basically dealing with redrawing states and renaming states, state boundaries and areas and all that. And uh, so there are two provisos uh, to uh, Article 3, which basically says that uh, if the, you know, parliament... If the parliament takes over as a state legislature, or the parliament, uh, uh, sorry, if the, if the parliament uh, makes a law uh, for a state, uh, it has to basically refer the uh, uh, refer the law to the state legislature and get the consent of the state legislature. Now, in what has happened in uh, in Jammu and Kashmir was that there was a president's rule going on, so the parliament under Article three fifty seven. Just one after 356, when the parliament takes over as the uh, state legislature, the role of the state assumes the role of the state legislature, and the president assumes the role of the uh, government, the executive. So, uh, so what the court says is that yes, uh, we had uh, we are talking about this, the Jammu and Kashmir State Reorganization Act, which which has actually carved bifurcated the state. So basically what uh, the court says is that, yes, there was a president's rule on 
and the president is the government and the parliament is the state legislature here at that point of time. So uh, the uh, reorganization bill was referred to the parliament. The parliament uh, found no malefide in that and we they, they passed it. And uh, so the same, uh, so that's, that's, that's the argument here. And then there is a huge void there. They basically, they, they have not gone into the question whether the parliament can extinguish the character of statehood by converting a state into one or more unitaries in exercise of the power under Article 3. That, that thing is left open. They, have, they haven't gone into this question. They have not gone into the question. Isn't they that, have left wasn't it that the question of the entire case? Exactly. So, so we have, and I'm just digressing from this question. I'm just saying we, so far in our discussion, we have brought out two blanks. One, the court did not go into the validity of the proclamation of 356. They did not do that. And two, uh, they did not look into the validity of the State Reorganization Act. What, what the State Reorganization Act has done here is that it has actually bifurcated a full-fledged state into two union territories. So can they can can this be done under Article 3? They have conveniently left it open. They said that uh, at some point in the future, this comes up, we'll have to discuss this. Right. Now, uh, this uh, this what you what you uh, phrased as this extinguishing of statehood, you know, uh, through this uh, entire uh, process. I was just wondering, uh, like, how 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 does uh, this what does this actually mean in terms of uh, uh, federalism, you know, for other states? You know, can can the center now? Uh, I mean, is it fair to assume that the union government now has a clean sheet? You know, sort of stamped uh, with the authority of the highest court of the of the land uh, to bifurcate any state and turn it into a union territory after it imposes president's rule. I mean, is that is that is that a, a legitimate concern to have? Well, I think uh, you know we'll have to uh, you know whether there was a unilateral exercise of power here by the center. Uh, that's that's basically the crux of your question. Um, I think. Uh, if you can, uh, you know, be a little patient. I, I have a little background here on that. You know, let's start with June 2018. Mehbooba Mufti resigns after the BJP pulls out. The governor's rule is declared the next, the very next day with the concurrence of the president. There was no opportunity given to the Congress, the PDP, the National Congress uh, Conference Alliance to demonstrate their strength in the House. The governor's rule at that point had uh, in, in Jammu and Kashmir has only a life of six months. And while the governor's rule is on, the governor dissolves the legislative assembly in November 2018. He sends a report to the president recommending president's rule under Article 356. Article 356 is proclaimed. And according to the petitioner, uh, the motion was passed without... Uh, placing the uh, governor's report uh, in the parliament. Debates uh, debates were not held, uh, approving the proclamation of 356 in the Lok Sabha and Rajya Sabha. And, there, and, and, and according to the Sakarya Commission, there should be an extreme political crisis in the state with no possibility to form a workable government. In that, It's only in that situation that 
the president's rule is proclaimed or declared. Uh, but uh, there was no discussion in the parliament, according to the petitioners. Now, December 19th, president's rule was proclaimed. It was again extended in July for six months. A month later, after it was extended, there's a flurry of activity. Uh, Constitution Order 272 comes in. Uh, it's notified by the president in August. And it applies all of the Indian provisions of the Indian Constitution to Jammu and Kashmir. Immediately after uh, Constitution Order 273 kicks in, Article 370 ceases to exist. No more special status to Jammu and Kashmir. October 31st, 2019, Jammu and Kashmir Reorganization Act comes into existence. It uh, basically uh, downgrades a full-fledged state into two union territories. One, Ladakh, is without a legislative assembly. The same month in October, President's rule is revoked. So basically, where does this unilateral exercise of power kick in in the first place? It is with, according to the petitioners, it is with the transfer of control of over Jammu and Kashmir from the governor to the president, you know, uh, in 356. Without giving the people of Jammu and Kashmir an opportunity to restore governance in the state. You know, the, the, the governor did not call the other parties to see if you, you know, you want to, uh, you want to test your strength in the house. No. And sadly, Article 356, the very purpose of Article 356 is to restore governance. But on the other hand, what has happened is that uh, the from presidents, from governor's rule to president's rule and president's rule, finally it culminates in the state, in the non-existence of the state itself. And if there was, the president's rule had continued, it would have continued for six months. And after that, Whatever laws uh, the president or the parliament had made uh, would could have been appealed or amended by the new legislative assembly of the state. But in this case, the legislative assembly was dissolved. And there was no coming back because, uh, you know, uh, it had been, uh, it had, the state had been, uh, irrevocably, according to the petitioner, uh, irreversibly changed, the character of the state had irreversibly changed from state to union territory. So basically what we see here is that the court saying that, you know, I don't want to go into the validity of why the president's rule was declared uh, or the governor's rule was declared. I don't want to go into the validity of the proclamation because it's too late. You did not come on time. When the governor's rule was uh, declared, you did not come then to challenge the governor's so when did rule. The, when did the petitioners approach the court for the first time? Did not come on time? I, mean, I thought this was pending for a long time. They came after the whole thing was over. They came after the abrogation was done and the Reorganization Act uh, came into existence. So when, they, when should they have come then? So what the court here is saying is that you should have separately approached when uh, the governor's rule was declared, if you wanted to challenge the governor's rule, you should have challenged it separately. If you wanted to challenge the transfer of the governor's rule to the president's rule, you should have uh, you should have challenged it then. 
Now we are only about the abrogation and the State Reorganization Act. We are not about uh, the uh, governor's rule, the validity of the governor's rule or the president's rule. But you see, the, the whole point is that uh, we are about abrogation and we are about State Reorganization Act now because uh, the governor's rule and the president's rule set the stage for that to happen. Right, right. They are irrevocably linked. I mean, they are linked very close together. So, the, the, so I think, um, you know, and the other thing is that uh, they have um, about just, uh, about, uh, you you know, SR Bombay judgment, they have quoted from SR Bombay judgment. They have said that, you know, there should be more judicial scrutiny about the president's actions, about uh, the declaration of uh, president's rule, the validity of it. They've quoted everything. And they've also set down certain ground rules, which we talked about. But why have they not applied these ground rules to this particular case? That's also the question. Right, right. Uh, very interesting there, uh, Krishna. Thank you for bringing in uh, the historical uh, uh, context of this entire thing, which sort of sometimes gets uh, ignored in the, in the nitty-gritty of the law. I think history, what actually happened in 2019, I think that's very important to know, 2018 as well. I just wanted to interrupt some, something. Just a one more point to this, uh, Sampath. You know, the petitioners had brought in this argument that, uh, you know, now there's been an irreversible change in the status or the character of Jammu and Kashmir. So the court says that the, the argument of irreversibility does not apply here because again, they quote article 357, where they say that the president is the state government and the parliament is the state legislature. They both assume the role of these state entities uh, during the president's rule. And when during article 356, when the rule is subsisting, they can do whatever they want. They are competent to do things that they are otherwise not competent. And uh, there are no, they're basically saying that there are no limitations on the exercise of power under Article 356. So that's also very interesting. Right. So uh, we're running out of time, Krishna. So one last question before we wrap up. Now, you are saying that under Article 356, on the one hand, uh, one you, you began by when the court's judgment seemed to indicate that there needs to be a nexus, you know, uh, between wh why it was imposed and what, what happened. But then at the same time, we are also seem to be finding that uh, uh, there is no limit to what can be done. If there is no limit, then why should there be a nexus? You know, that question comes up. So my final question to you is, uh, wh what does this mean for the federal uh, setup? And we spoke about asymmetric federalism. I mean, even asymmetric federalism, one would assume uh, in the common sense understanding would be, okay, asymmetry between the two poles, which is the center and the state. But here, the asymmetry is between uh, different units of the second pole, which is the states themselves, where some one set of states have a different kind of uh, set of privileges and so on. But here, in the question of uh, the fundamental question in terms of what 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 is the guarantee that the federal setup will remain federal in spirit? You know, if one 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 pole can extinguish the other pole unilaterally, as we have seen, then how how is it a federal setup anymore? If a state can no longer guarantee uh, have a guarantee of its own existence, on on what basis does it stand as a state vis-a-vis -vis the union? Uh, 
in fact uh, in jammu and kashmir uh, jammu and kashmir stay uh, case uh, very interestingly the legislative assembly of jammu and kashmir in 2000 uh, had demanded the implementation of a state autonomy committee report which said that you know we, we should be restored the state should be restored to uh, the pre 1953 status as you know because the status before uh, you know uh, the constituent assembly uh, came into this thing and uh, they uh, went without any abrogation and uh, all that uh, so basically they they said that you know uh, and it's i just pulled it out uh, uh, they are basically saying that article 370 has acquired a dangerously ambiguous aspect uh, designed to protect the state's autonomy it has been used systematically to destroy it so uh, i think the alarms were ringing way back in 2000 itself that you know um, autonomy is being slowly eroded and we should do something about it there should be a new article to supplant article 370 and there should be a fresh uh, there should be a fresh compact between the union and the state uh, so there has been uh, it was noticed and it was uh, you know people were in jammu and kashmir i think the at least the legislative assembly was aware of this now what in this case i mean you know, the larger perspective of uh, this thing is that uh, why did the court not uh, examine the governor's role in the whole thing you know the governor had uh, he immediately called uh, the moment the uh, the chief justice i'm sorry the chief minister resigned the very next day he assumes control the governor gives a report based on which the president acted and uh, he dissolved the legislative assembly right no no speaking of this uh, why didn't why didn't the the court examine the governor's role i mean i, I mean again this connects immediately with a larger context or the larger implication what is going on in every state which is ruled by an opposition party the gone the governor role is uh, under the scanner uh, uh, not necessarily only in the media but in the supreme court itself you know beat kerala beat uh, tamil nadu uh, beat bengal the governor has been playing uh, a kind of a role uh, which has been which has drawn attention you know in a way that he did not earlier in history and we have seen as you said as you rightly described what the governor did uh, in jammu and kashmir as well so there seems to be uh, some kind of a change in the way the governors uh, of late have approached their function with not very pleasant consequences for uh, federalism so the whole point is uh, was the governor acting uh, less as a constitutional statesman and more as a political ally of the union Th- these things have to be examined this was not examined and these were specific questions given to the constitution bench like do you please examine 356 which would mean examining the governor's role also and uh, uh, please examine the uh, the fact that the state was changed when it was under president's rule the the change of uh, is in the basic character of the state it's been reduced into it been it it has been bifurcated into union territories now all these questions were not either not answered at all or the you know not satisfactorily uh, uh, you know put into perspective 
so that, that's that's i think that's what is alarming a lot of people that's what this whole uh, debate about federalism is coming into being because basically the petitioner said that you bring in governor's rule and then instead of giving an opportunity for the uh, legislative assembly to uh, come back and giving the parties the political parties a chance to form a government a workable government you immediately give it before 6 months or you immediately give it to the president's rule the president uh, extends it and uh, the uh, the first month of the second extension he brings out all the uh, uh, 370 ceases to exist state reorganization is brought in and state is is uh, is you know is not there and then at the end of the day a constitutional court uh, instead of answering a constitutional uh, instead of answering a constitutional reference or questions put to it basically bangs on the word of a solicitor general to say that uh, you know we will restore statehood right now uh, right on this uh, one one last question krishna so this is a constitution bench a five judge bench so in case uh, Uh, the petitioners want uh, further relief. You know, they, they, is there any scope for review or appeal or whatever uh, on this judgment? Well, um, I think you know they can. Uh, it's a constitutional reference. They can probably. I think recently there was a curative petition filed against a constitution bench decision uh, regarding an arbitration agreement. What exactly is a curative uh, petition do? Like, what what is its significance? it's a it's it's a rare remedy where there is there should be a, a very limited remedy where you know unless there is some bias on the face of it apparent bias uh, shown on the bench if you can prove that prima facie then the court will uh, entertain the curative and look into it or if there is a problem which is insurmountable uh, which is affecting a, lo- a lot of people and uh, then you know it's basically the court takes a call on whether it has to rehear it or uh, redo it but it i don't think it's basically done uh, and here you know what you see here in this judgment it's an open uh, what we call an open form judgment where you know uh, you feel that uh, december 11th the judgment is over but then it's not over uh at the same time you have uh, you you they've asked for elections they've directed the election commission for elections they've asked the uh, for, for whatever it's worth they've asked the solicitor general or they placed their trust in the solicitor general's word to uh, restore statehood they they've also asked for a asked for a truth and reconciliation commission yes exactly i was just about to come to that then then the, 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 the then then uh, sanjay kishan call who's you know whose last working date was yesterday so he has uh, uh written an epilogue where he says that as you said uh, truth and reconciliation commission commission to reach out to the people of uh, jammu and kashmir you have these it's it's basically an open form judgment it's not closed it's not, not over the problem is not solved they know that uh so i, I think you know uh, when you think that it's over it's not over uh, the, the the it's gone back to the people now let's see what happens and also there's a very dangerous uh, uh, comment or there's a very dangerous argument from the government side the government has basically uh, put the border states categorized the border states you know they've basically said that you know the, the, the national security is involved in border states so uh, we need uh, they brought in national security in ladakh's case so we need to keep ladakh under our control now you what you have done here is that you've taken a whole state of jammu and kashmir uh, reorganized it and you've taken one portion and made it into a union territory and 
reduced its uh, and uh, reduced its power. It, you know, you haven't. I'm sorry, you haven't given it a legislative assembly. Whereas Jammu and Kashmir has a legislative assembly. So election is only for Jammu and Kashmir, Union Territory of Jammu and Kashmir. Ladakh will not have an election, uh, assembly election. Thank you so much, uh, Krishna. I mean, it was it was an absolute pleasure discussing this very uh, complex. A judgment which is invested with so much of history and uh, so much at stake for so many. I think uh, the story uh, will continue and we'll have to wait and see uh, when the elections are held. Uh, does Jammu and Kashmir get back its statehood and you know what is what are the other possibilities from this judgment which we will I think uh, see unfold in the months to come. Thank you so much once again for your time. Thank you so much Sampar. The pleasure talking to you. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.